Hello ladies and gents and welcome to the latest Q&A in the Fulham Focus series. My name is Danny Boyer and I'm delighted to say joining me today to talk about his time at Fulham is a true Fulham great who experienced all the highs and lows from the great escape all the way through to our sad relegation, including the greatest achievement in our history, getting to a Europa League final. I am of course talking about the one, the only Aaron Hughes. Aaron it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. It's an honour, mate. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for, for asking me to do this. It's, it's my pleasure. I've never heard you talk about your time at Fulham, do an interview, so I, I feel really privileged. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I mean, yeah, now and again, I've been sort of asked bits and pieces, but I've never sort of had too many specific things. Just I guess that would be a little bit different. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot to ask you, so I'm I'm just going to crack straight on with the first one, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, fire away, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so we'll start off with you uh, growing up as a kid. Did you always want to be a footballer, and did you have any role models in the game? I used to, well, when I was young, I wanted to be a pilot. Actually, um, my granddad took me to an air show when I was when I was pretty young, and I was fascinated with the planes. I actually wanted to be a pilot, and I didn't really. It's different to what like, sort of the young lads are playing now in the academies at you know seven, eight, nine years old. I didn't really start playing in a team properly until I was sort of thirteen, nearly fourteen. It was only maybe after that sort of when I was sort of hitting fourteen or fifteen and getting a little bit of interest and getting some trials at clubs that I sort of thought I might you know I might have a chance of of going across and, and trying my luck at being a being a pro footballer and I, I sort of started there. But you know, before that. I <laughs> well, I didn't see that coming. Um, did, did you? Was you always a centre half? Uh, or well, you started off as a right back, didn't you? Uh, well, if you want to go all the way back to my school days, then I was like playing everywhere: I was right wing, striker, central midfielder. Probably surprised even more people. But then, uh, when I sort of started playing more seriously in teams and a bit of structure, uh, I played in a team that was about an hour away from from where I lived. Um, and they they said like you know put me as a centre back. Uh, they, they seen me being a centre back just the attributes that I had, um, and I'm that really where I started playing centre back. And did you have any role models? No, I mean it's, it's something that like, again, growing up I was a Liverpool fan, one of the kid as well. Um, but there wasn't sort of one player that stood out. I think because I didn't have again, you know, maybe kids nowadays when they're in academies and. They're, they're already finding their positions really early, so they're looking at players in around their, their positions. Whereas I was sort of, I just loved football. I, I like watching football when it was on, whoever was playing. So I didn't have one specific sort of role model. I just just loved to watch it and watch all the different players and, you know, and see what they did. And how did you get your first opportunity in football? Where, like, to, to move across the water with... With New... Well, I'm guessing you started off with Newcastle. Yeah, so the, the Newcastle thing came about. Uh, I was playing in the Milk Cup uh, back in in, uh, in Northern Ireland, which was like a youth tournament. Um, and I was playing for the Boys Brigade at the time, just uh, in, the, in Northern Ireland. Uh, and Newcastle were in our group. So I think uh, we played against them, and, and then they, uh, they spoke to my dad after the game and just asked me to go across on a trial. Um, and from there, really, just um, went across, loved it. Um, she liked the people, and that went away. Thought about it, and they ended up. Uh, you know, that was that was how I got across there. And and whilst you was at Newcastle, you was managed by uh, Sir Bobby Robson. Obviously, he's like yourself, iconic with Fulham fans. 
What was he like to play under? What was his personality like? Don Bay was brilliant. So enthusiastic about everything and had so much energy about everything. Um, and, and one of his big things was because he was from the area, he, he really sort of tried to emphasise how important it was to, to play for Newcastle, you know, to, to put on the black and white shirt and what it meant to the people that, you know, came to watch the games and, and paid their money, you know, worked hard all week to, to turn up on a Saturday to, to watch us play. Um, and, and he sort of really made sure we appreciated that uh, so that when we went out, the least, you know, the least we, we, we would give is to make sure we you know, gave a little bit back. But um, no, he was great. And, and for me personally, like he was the first manager that really gave me a, a proper run in the side. You know, I've been in out the side over sort of the previous couple of years before that. But an opportunity came up. We had a few injuries um, and we played. It was the Sheffield Wednesday game at home uh, when we when we won 8 nil, And that was sort of when he first threw me in. He had the chance, to, I think, to bring in a couple of players in loan. But, he, uh, you know, he showed a bit of faith in the youth and threw me in. And, and that was really my first taste on for him. And then and after that, then, then sort of the season after, he gave him a, a proper run, you know, almost not a full season. And, and went on from there. So that for, for, for a young lad too, um, to be trusted with that, and it's, it's a big confidence booster, and it, it, it helps you grow in the game. No, I, I bet it does. Was he was he like a shouter? Like, compared to your other managers, how would you describe him, his style? No, I mean, he wasn't... He just had a way of... Like, he, he didn't... We, we had big characters in the dressing room there too, you know, so there was enough voices to, to do that side of it needed to. Um, but he would never... I can't remember him really raising his voice in anger and, you know, like a real proper rant. Like, obviously, he would, he would shout, he would emphasise things, but he would do it in a way where, instead of coming out sort of feeling a bit down, like, you, you know, you just, you take a bit of batter in the dressing room, you'd you, you, you be totally the opposite. you go out with your sort of held head up, your, your shoulders out, ice your chest out, you know, shoulders, shoulders back, and you go out in the second half to really give it a go. Um, so he just, he just knew how to bring the best out in people and how to really get them going and, and, and sort of emphasise just what it meant to, to, to play first and foremost and then um, you know tactically at the time we didn't do anything weird or wonderful you know there was there was no anything that you you know you wouldn't have seen anywhere else Tech, he, he obviously knew the game inside out from the from where he'd been and the experiences he'd been but it was more as I said like the you know getting people to, to play for him for, for the club for the shirt and for uh, you know just bringing the best out of people and you know, for listeners uh, of a certain generation, they're going to find it very hard to believe that Newcastle at one time were getting in the Champions League every year for a handful of years. What was that like, playing in the Champions League? Uh, again, phenomenal. You know, you're talking uh, sort of like the, the highest, pretty much the highest level you can get to at club level. You, know, you can't really go above that. So it's you're getting to play against you know, the top teams in Europe and the top players in Europe. Um, and again, I, I probably didn't appreciate it. Didn't realise what, what was happening until afterwards when I looked back and go, oh, didn't realise how much I was enjoying it or how much I've missed it now that I've, that I've come away from it. Just because it sort of, that was just, that's how it was at the time. You know, we were we were a, a club that were always competing to run around the, the top four at that time, you know, pushing for, for that. That was what was expected of us. So that's sort of what you were always working towards. And so when you got it, it, it sort of felt, well, this is what we're meant to be doing. <laughs> and I think it's only after when I look back and go, wow, that was crazy. You know, Malik, you know, got the chance to play in the Champions League against some, some top players and teams. So, um, yeah, it was a great, great experience and, and something that, you know, obviously always, always remember the experiences. Yeah, top stuff, mate.
going to swiftly skip Villa and, and move on to Fulham because there's so much to ask you. So you, you was regularly a right-back. Have I, have I got that right? Until you joined Fulham, that yeah. was your main position. Yeah, like I came when I was younger, so I came through as a centre-back. When I went to Newcastle, I ended up playing a few different positions. Um, then when I went down to Villa, I went down to Villa as a right-back, so I ended up playing right-back there. But then when I went, came back to Fulham, uh, Laurie Sanchez brought me back as a centre-back. Uh, that's sort of where I played for Northern Ireland mostly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would call myself a centre-back, but I have played in and around different positions, just the way, that the way it's been. Did you enjoy playing centre-back more? Yeah, yeah, I feel more comfortable there, just naturally, because I sort of feel that's my position. The other positions I can make do, but, um, you know, I would never say they were, you know, I wouldn't say I'm naturally a right-back or a left-back or anything like that there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you proved that centre-half was your, your strongest position, you was outstanding. So, obviously, Sanchez had a big influence in your decision to join Fulham. Was it him that sold Fulham to you, or was there any other reasons why you, you fancied the move? Um, Laurie had, a, had just come off the back of a you know, brilliant spell in Northern Ireland, where we'd had a wee bit of success. And, um, when he left Northern Ireland at the time, we were, we were sitting well in the, in a, in the group. Um, I think it was the Euro qualifiers at the time. And he got the chance to move down to Fulham. And he didn't really need to, to sell it that much. It, it was an exciting one for me. And I was coming off the back of a, a funny couple of years at Villa where uh, Villa had been sort of my first move away from Newcastle. So it was, it was quite new to me. Um, Villa, I was sort of in and out the side. So I, in my head, I was ready for something new and I wasn't quite enjoying, enjoying things there. So so when I came up, when I came down, and um, Laurie called me just to come down, have a chat, have a meeting. Um, to come down, see them, see the training ground, show around a little bit. Uh, and it just felt, you know, just felt right. It was, it was the right time for me to move. It felt like the right place to be. That the people that I met, you know, real good people. I thought, yeah, this, this could be a really good move, a uh, really exciting move for me. So, um, yeah, it was it was an easy one in the end. And uh, I mean, obviously, at the time when you were joining Fulham, what were your ambitions for Fulham? You know, where where you saw Fulham going as a club, uh, realistically. Because uh, I'm not going to believe you if you say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe it was going to get to a European final. No, I, I think when you come in and, and everything's new and that, I think first you want to you want to make sure do as well as you can on a personal level and, and, and sort of contribute as much as you can. But looking at you know from from how Laurie was talking and, and some of the players we were bringing in, we should be a, we should be a comfortable mid-table team here. You know, without getting ahead of ourselves, because you never know unless you have a really unbelievable season. And, Go above expectations a little bit, you know, which can happen. But just to be to be safe, I guess you just. I'm coming from this the season before where just avoided relegation. You're looking to go like let's just let's just make sure we're we're, we're comfortable and build from there. So I guess I guess the expectation was that really it wasn't to be sort of being unrealistic and going too high, but just to make sure our Premier League status was going to be you know going to be secure after what had happened just just the season before. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So, so obviously, you were Sanchez's signing. When it started to go wrong and we were really struggling, did you feel a sense of loyalty and a little bit of awkwardness knowing that he was probably heading towards the sack and, and that we weren't playing very well? It's, it's just, it's always a tough situation to be in. There's, there's a sense of sort of a personal responsibility each question, like, have I done enough? You know, is it sort of not my 
my fault, but you know, like if, if I'm a contributor as well, if, if things not worked out as well on anything on a personal level, and then you look around and, and try and figure out answers from, from where else it could be going wrong. So I think it was more, uh, I felt disappointed for, for Laurie to come in and, and you know, with, with high hopes to try and, you know, to try and make a real good go of things, and it, it just wasn't working out. So you sort of feel a little bit, yeah, I guess you feel a little bit responsible in a way as a player because the manager always takes the, the bullet, but. You know, we're, we're out in the pitch doing it. Um, but at the same time, it, there was a sense of the inevitable because it wasn't working. I mean, it just things weren't clicking and just our, our way of playing um, didn't seem to sometimes fit sort of the, the, the players that we had. Um, and and it, just, it just wasn't clicking. It, used, it was one of those things where you're, you're hoping that it turns around and you get a bit of luck and a bit of confidence and then you can you know, use that to sort of springboard the season. But it just never came. It was just you know, getting further and further into trouble. And then Roy Hodgson takes over. What did he do to make such a big improvement? Like, first of all, like tactically, he was, you know, he set us up. You know, the, the amount of detail Roy puts into his tactics and, and our training and what we do day in day out, and he doesn't waste any time on the training pitch. Like every everything you do on the training pitch is geared towards how we're going to play, what we're going to do. You know, the, how the teams functions, how the individuals function within that team. And, and that's just how it is, you know. There was rarely sort of um, any any small set of games we used to play were structured, so you'd be in your position and doing what was expected. If it was a big game, I mean, there was no just like little sort of five sides or you know just for fun or you know little boxes to warm up and you know, messing around. But everything was everything was um, sort of time well spent and, and to the point. Um, and, and that was it, really, just getting down to work and sort of working hard every day, you know hammering home all the, all the different things that he wanted us to do, getting into position, watching the videos, watching the games back. Um, and one thing we're right, never really getting panicked about the situation, just being very calm and collected and every day going in and just going about, you know, training and doing the things we did regardless of the result at the weekend. So, you know, if we'd had a win, we wouldn't be, you know, get carried away with it. Equally, if it, it hadn't gone well, we'd just get back, back to the, the training pitch and, you know, back to hard work and, you know, over the period of five months, whatever it was before that, and the end of the season, you know, it came good just at the right time. I mean, you say he uh, never really panicked. What What was the role Lewington played, Ray Lewington? Because was it a bit like good cop, bad cop? How, how did they complement oh, each other? That, that, that was Ray again. Ray's one of the one of the best coaches I've worked with. Very, very intelligent coach, and Ray would just back up Roy's message and. You know, because obviously Roy's taken the group, and and that's the main one. You know, after training, going off ever, and you could just pull Ray and 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 talk a few little things through him, or just you know clarify a few little points here and, and different bits and pieces. And Ray, Ray was very good. Ray was said Ray was one of the best coaches I, I got to work with, um, and sort of maybe went under the radar a little bit. It was Mike, Mike Kelly, who's the, the the bad cop, if you like. Mike was the one that could you know give you a bit of a dress and down, and you could hear his voice from the side at times. And, you know, on the pitch anyway, or off the pitch, obviously he's totally different, he's, he's top man, but I think when it came to that, you had sort of the, the camera voice of Ray, and then uh, when needed, Mike, you could hear Mike's voice man again. What what point during the Great Escape did you start believing it was possible to survive? Was there a moment that you thought, we're going to do this? Um, no, but not right to near the end, when we had a chance of doing it, because it was, for such a long time, it was just looking inevitable, and any time we did get something someone else would pick up a result and again you're sort of looking at it just hoping um, and just trusting that the work that you do day in day out is going to pull you out um, and then I think 
the big turning point is obviously the Man City game away. 2-0 down at half-time and effectively relegated if the results all stay the same. Yeah. Um, I just remember Roy coming in, and he didn't say an awful lot, but Ian, like he, he would come in at half-time, um, you know, he'd maybe he'd go to the room with the coaches and, and have a chat with them or, or, you know, get out any frustrations that he had in the game. And then when he came when he came into the dressing room to sort of address the lad, he was always very calm, very focused, very um, got his point across very well. Uh, and he just came into the dressing room at half-time and, and looked around and just said, look, oh, can't do any, we've just got to go win the second half. Just go out and win the second half and see where it takes us. And sure enough, you know, we, we went out and did a lock on our side too that day because it ended up being a crazy second half. But managed to, you know, managed to turn around. I think we come when when we went through that and came out the other side. I think then that's when we thought, oh, like we've got a chance here. You know, that that, that that's maybe the, the time where you, you think give a chance just because all of a sudden you've, you've turned a little corner. Whereas earlier in the season, a two 0 down at half time, we probably would have gone on to lose the game. And then we, then we go on we go on and win it and, and keep ourselves alive. And just the the list it gave us from from being effectively relegated at half time to, to still being in it. And looking at the games we had coming up, where we had a, you know we were playing. We were playing Redenham, we were playing Derby after, if I remember correctly. Derby, sorry, Redenham in Birmingham. We played, we played Redenham before the Man City game. The, was it? The Man City game was the third from last, and then we played Birmingham at home and Portsmouth away. Yeah, I remember the, the Birmingham at home. Yeah, so yeah, maybe maybe it was the, the Man City game then, because even with the Red game, it's, it's a good result, but you've still got a few more to go. Yeah. Um, and obviously then the Birmingham one just sets it up for the last day of the season. I don't know if you've ever um, been told or been made aware of it, but going to that that Reading game, the we scored, we only won three games that season by more than one goal, so there was only three games that could have impacted on our goal difference, and they was all the third goals or, or the extra goal were all scored in injury time, and two of those were against Reading, and we stayed up by about three goals on goal difference, so if. David Healy hadn't scored in the 3-1 win at home to Reading at the Cottage but November sort of time. And if Neverland hadn't scored the injury time goal against Reading away, they would have stayed up on goal difference. But that, that, that's how it was like, that's, that's how it was sort of just crazy how you know, got to that point and how it went right down to the wire like that. And, and you, you can you look back at all over, you know, over all these little little things and probably if you, if you broke their season down as well there'd be one or two goals or, or moments they would say well Lord here we would have stayed up or, or maybe they had last minute goals that we can't remember that brought it that close if you like it's just the way the season goes but yeah it's, it's mad that, like, when, you, know, you look back at that season and then you think was it was it four out of our last five games were away as well is that right or three out of our last five games uh, we, well we won yeah we won three away in a row <laughs> and we won four out of five. That's you know, and that's that's uh, that's just how it went. And I think that's what makes it so remarkable, just how everything came good just at the right time. And we had a bit of confidence, and we were going away away from home where we struggled all season, and pulling out results from nowhere. So yeah, it was incredible. It goes under the radar a little bit in terms of Premier League great escapes. The neutral fan doesn't really talk about it. They talk about like West Brom famously staying up when Brian Robson was their manager, but. No one talks about it, but as you just said, four wins out of the last five, three away wins in a row. Incredible, really. I mean, he's got to be one of the greatest escapes the Premier League's ever had. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the times that the, the, the other, let's call them great escapes, they happen because on you know teams have maybe stayed up on the last game of the season from a relegated position 
winning the game and managed to leapfrog a couple of people like that. Maybe because we went into the last game actually out of the relegation zone just above it and, and having to win the to stay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know that you know because I sort of feel like all all the, the the madness sort of happened before that. That it actually came the last game and we were I think we were sitting seventeenth if that's right, albeit. Yeah, yeah, it was in our hands. Yeah. So uh, maybe you know uh, maybe that's why it's not as much. But I mean, uh, it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. Thank you. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't just Hodgson uh, tactics that changed our season. His recruitment did as well. And we've got to mention Breda Hangeland. You know, the Thames barrier you're known as. It's, okay. I, think, I think, did you not know that? I, I think I've heard it once or twice. I didn't realise it was actually... Oh, it's a, fa- it's a famous, fa- yeah, it's a famous nickname for the two of you. You're the Thames, <laughs> Thames barrier. Because uh, nothing gets through. And I, th- I think most Fulham fans would agree you're... The greatest centre half partnership in our history. Come on, thank you. No, well, you were. You were. You was outstanding together, and I think together you was stronger than you was individually. If that makes sense. How long did it take you to click in training? Did Did it happen instantly? Yeah, but again, it's just one of those things that you get put together in the work you do on the training pitch with Roy, and that all obviously helps, but. I think sometimes it's hard to explain when it started, how it started, anything like that. I think you just got two personalities that, that work well together on and off the pitch, um, have similar sort of levels of standards and expectations of each other and can read each other's games well. And obviously with the amount of sort of uh, the detail and training and, and working day on day out, you just you fine-tune that to a point where like you can't literally just read each other's game without maybe even realising it. Um, I can't remember when it started because I never, I can't ever think. Well, I sort of struggled for a bit to start, and then it came good. It just was almost instant. It just flowed. We just went in and played and, and struck up a partnership straight away. So, I guess right, yeah, right, right from the off, just it was really, really comfortable. I mean, if, if from from the stands watching you, it, it looked like telepathic. It looked like you could read each other's minds. You know, you was completely on the same wavelength. So I've I've never never seen a partnership like that before. I've got to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that probably comes down to then um, the, the, the tactical side of things as well. I'm, I'm working on things day in, day out, and, and just always being, as I said, like with Roy, everything had a purpose. Everything, you know, there wasn't any time wasted. You, if we were doing a defending drill, obviously, you know, the focus was on us and, and we defend how we were expected in a game. But say we were doing like an attacking drill and the attackers were trying to, you know, get through us or, or, or work, you know, work uh, patterns and stuff, we would still be expected to defend how we were always working on, on your role and, and not just personally how that worked sort of your position and off the person next to you um, and like I said that with and just sort of being compatible with, with Brad as a character as well it just it just worked really well and I, it's probably the most comfortable I've felt with, with someone on a football pitch it, it, it did it, it did feel like that where I never had a thought of where he might be I just knew he'd be behind me somewhere covering me and vice versa if he moved and actually just and um, going into the the Pompey game, how did you feel waking up in the morning? You know the build up to it. Was it different to most games you played in up until that point in your career? Uh, no, it was just another. I remember thinking, you know, obviously there was a little bit of sort of well, 
butterflies, if you like, whether it was nerves or excitement or whatever, but it was, it was another, you know, normal match day. Got up, go through the same routine. As the game got closer, and I think during the game and through it, we sort of felt like, all right, we need to really do something here. I think someone came on, and I think it might have been Eric came on, or, or someone came on as a sub in the second half and, and sort of said, we, we need, as they come on, they've scored, or, you know, we, we need a win. Um, so we sort of had to push a little bit back. I never sort of remember feeling really panicked or nervous. It was just the same. You, you get used to you used to playing and, and sort of pressure games. And you, the best way to deal with that, I always find throughout my career, is just just go through my routine and just take the day the same as you know I normally would. And that sort of helps helps calm everything else. So it was very very much a case of just doing that again. Like, well, before we move on from the Great Escape, we'll finish by saying, how did it feel at the final whistle? And and did, how did Al Fayed celebrate with you in the change rooms? Yeah, he came in afterwards and, you know, he was over the moon. Like, it was his club when they managed to stand the Premier League and he took great pride in it. And I remember him just coming in and just saying to the lads on how, how proud he was, what a, what a great effort. And, you know, never giving up and sticking into the end. And the feeling was just, I think the feeling was a sense, um, well, for, for me anyway, obviously just the joy and craziness and everything going on and, and sort of when the, the madness died down, there's just this overwhelming, overwhelming sense of relief and, and accomplishment that you managed to do what you, you know, stay up, that's what, that was the aim. Um, but just relief because probably without realising it, you know, because you're so focused on the, on the training day to day and you go into the games, going through the same routine, but the pressure is building up and, and it's just dealing with that. And then <laughs> then you get to the end where you've made it and all of a sudden you can just take this big, this big uh, sigh of relief and, it was such a nice feeling just to go. I remember going back in the house that evening and coming out at the end of the season, so normal boots and stuff, and just dropping my boots at the front door. Um, to my family there, obviously all excited and hugs and kisses and everything. I just <laughs> flopped down on the sofa, just oh my god, you know. And there was no mad celebrations. It was just like a big sort of sigh. Thank, thank goodness for that. <laughs> I mean, obviously to the fans it was heroic, but did you get like a lot of thank yous and that from the staff because? I would imagine there's a lot of like people behind the scenes would have been offloaded if we had been relegated. You know, they, cuts would have been made. So there must have been a lot of people around the ground that were quite worried. Yeah, again, like that's you know, as a, as a player, you sort of have that or you know, have that responsibility too. And, and I think at a club like Fulham, where it's everyone, you know, it is a, a real tight knit club, um, and it's it's unique in a way. So. You're aware of that. You're aware of that. Your failure could not just impact you; it can impact a lot of other people around the place. Um, so that, that's sort of the, the relief, and, and you know, just having that pressure of, of, of responsibility as well. And um, you know, when it's all done and dusted, oh, thank goodness, you know, like we stayed up, and it, it obviously makes such a difference to everyone. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like anything, you know, it can impact like that. And when you're aware of it. That just that just creates that just adds to the pressure that you know you sort of have to deal with and get on with. Got a couple of uh, stats for you now. Well, okay. Well, they're actually facts. The You're going to tell me stuff I've got no idea about. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're two really nice ones. Um, the first one, you played the most games from the start of the Great Escape season to the Europa League final. Played more games than any player. Okay. Did you know that? I knew I had a season where I played like quite a bit, but I, not in comparison to sort of the other lads, no. Uh, and you played the second most Premier League games in our history. Uh, Hangeland played about 20 more than you. Uh, I'm guessing that was probably... You, you didn't really play in the last season, did you? 
No, when the, I'd say I left in the January as well. Just yeah. The, the relegation. So, yeah, I didn't, again, I didn't, I didn't realise that. But I mean, that just sums the pair of you up, that you are one and two on our all-time Premier League list. No, it's great, a great achievement, really, because there, there's not many players that come close to your overall appearances in that time. Yeah, it was just, and, and it's a period of my footballing career. A lot of people ask sometimes, oh, where's the best place you've played? And it's sometimes difficult because, you know, sort of good experiences everywhere, but that, that definitely, that, that period at Fulham, those, those couple of years with, with that, it's one of the best. You know, it's, it's got special memories for, for lots of different reasons, so... I really enjoyed it, and obviously the fact the plans as well helped. But the whole experience at the time was brilliant. Now, here's a really weird stat, and I think this is probably the most incredible achievement of the lot. In in 249 appearances for Fulham, you was only booked five times. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, How did you do that? I, I don't know. It's something that, like... One of those things. Um, I guess being so disciplined under Roy and you know not getting dragged out into positions and having to make rash tackles or something. Um, no, I did something that, like it's something that I don't know. Some people will say it's a it's a good thing. Other people will say it's a bad thing for Senna because I'm not the only people. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's one of those things, and I, I don't really know why. When I was young and like when I started becoming a centre back and I was being sort of taught the game. You know, I was always sort of told a lot to bend the feet and try not to dive in and give away, you know, silly, silly falls and that. So I don't know if that played a part of it just in the development or if I'm just lucky. And just, or maybe maybe I was too slow and couldn't get close enough to see the other part of it. I don't know. So, um, I mean, you, that. Did, did you get upset when you got books? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine, doesn't it? It didn't really bother me that way. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I was blown away by that. We've got a player at the moment that seems to get booked every other game. So <laughs> sometimes, but that sometimes just happens. Sometimes you get you get that where it's just, you get to extremes and, and just the game. I suppose that's a, that's a bit of a crazy one player where you, someone who just can't help, no matter how hard they try not to, just always seem to pick up those things. And uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't realise that myself, but it's a bit of a crazy one. Yeah, no, it's incredible. You also didn't score many goals. Now you can be forgiven for that because you was a centre half. But yeah. was it frustrating? Because your first Fulham goal didn't come for about, I think it was your fourth season. Uh, yeah, I think my first Fulham goal wasn't until the under Mark Hughes. Yeah, it was the season. Yeah, that's right, 2010-11. So the season after the Europa. Yeah, I'm not the most prolific um, for, for a number of reasons, but our, like goals weren't. You know, they're, they're great if you can get one or two of them, but I've, I've never been known for them. So um, it's not something that sort of frustrates me that I think, oh, I didn't get that many goals. It was just the way it was. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't your job, was it? I mean, your job was to be part of the Thames Barrier, and that's exactly what you was. Um, <laughs> you did score three goals, to be fair. Your first goal was, like you said, under Mark Hughes. We lost to West Ham at home. Uh-huh. I think that would have been at the, at the Hammersmith end. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was. And then you scored against Dnipro in the playoff for the uh, Europa League the second time round. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, considering you only scored three, you, you, you saved the best till last. You scored at Old Trafford. Yeah, that was, I was just I was trying to think there, where's the, where's the other one coming from? I couldn't remember. 
And then just before you said that, it, it popped into my head. That it was that was a bizarre game. It was a crazy game. We like, it was because I, I don't really remember that goal because I think we were four 0 down at the time. I'd come off a corner and it made it four one. And I'd handled the ball as well for the for the first for their first goal. I jumped with Chrissy Small and my hand had got stuck sort of on his shoulder. When he jumped, he jumped under my arm and sort of my hand went up into the air and it hit it. And it was like a bizarre sort of penalty. And then I think one of the other goals ricocheted off the knee. Went the other way past the uh, you know Swartz and goal, so it was a weird game. Like it was just it was one of those days where it was a bit frustrating as a centre back, and then all of a sudden I pull on score a goal at Old Trafford. You sort of think I'm going to score at Old Trafford, but it doesn't. It, it doesn't. I never really think of it because it, it, in the context of it, we it was a frustrating game and we were we were losing four 0 So yeah, it, it took me a minute there to, to get where that where that goal where that third goal was going to come from, and then I just remembered it was the, the one against. Yeah, they cut with Old Trafford. Well, you spot on because it was 4-1, that game. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You, you remember it well. That's the end of part one of our Q&A with Aaron Hughes. In the second part, Aaron explains why he left the club. We look through his international career as well as a few other bits and bobs. But we wouldn't be full on focus if we didn't focus on the incredible Europa League journey. I'm sure you're looking forward to that one. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for updates when this will be released. And you can also subscribe via iTunes or any other podcast app. But until then, my name's Danny Boyer. Really hope you've enjoyed it so far. And thank you very much for listening.